Welcome to the Life in Deep Ellum podcast, exploring the sacred in art, faith, and community. It's not always easy to be a neighbor. I don't know about you, but throughout my now almost 35 years of life, I have lived in many different neighborhoods. I have attended many schools, churches, been a part of various clubs, gyms, sports teams. And in just two days, my wife and I will leave a neighborhood I have personally been a part of for now a little over eight years. We will meet new people. We will find a new church. I'll find a new gym. We'll find our new restaurants, our bars, probably not breweries because they're outrageously expensive where we'll be, but we, we will... We will make the trek on bike. Yet one thing is sure, and one thing remains the same, no matter how often one moves around, or even for those of us who stay in one neighborhood for the length of our lives, there will always be people in proximity to us. We will always have neighbors. They will come, they will go. We will come, we will go. And those neighbors are whether those who physically live next to us or those with whom we just interact with on even a semi-regular basis. One timeless example of someone who sought to be the model neighbor is that of Mr. Rogers. Whether you watched Mr. Rogers growing up or you were watching the spinoff of Daniel Tiger with your children, or for those of us who are children at heart and know who Daniel Tiger is. <laughs> The lyrics from the theme song of both beloved children's television shows are quite similar. And to compare and contrast, the lyrics from Daniel Tiger read, It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? A land of make-believe, won't you ride with me, ride along, so much to do, so much to see, won't you ride along with me? Ride along in the land of make-believe. And those similar, a little different, the lyrics from the Mr. Rogers theme read, starting the same, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighborhood. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please, won't you be my neighbor? Though slightly different, both theme songs lift up this theme of being a neighbor and being in proximity in a neighborhood. But the question is, how does one be a neighbor? What is a neighbor? And the timeless conundrum, who is my neighbor? In my eight years in the Deep Ellum neighborhood of Dallas, those who meet me through the, throughout the city will oftentimes comment how connected I am to Deep Ellum, how I seem to know everyone, or how it's inevitable that if we are together somewhere in public, especially in this neighborhood, how we may run into someone that I know or knows me. A few years ago, a friend and I were walking from this very building over to Surprise, Deep Ellum Brewery, 
on a Friday afternoon when Tony, our neighborhood UPS guy, stopped to catch up with me for a few moments. We talked about work, we talked about his wife and two kids. And after Tony left to continue his deliveries, my friend, who had been in this neighborhood slightly longer than me at that point, looked at me completely baffled and said, well, only Josh Kogan can know the UPS guy. I challenged him and said, I disagree. You also can get to know the neighborhood UPS person too. You see, there's no magic behind being a neighbor. There's no secret formula. It should not baffle folks when someone is known in the neighborhood they are called to serve and love, whether through proximity of work, play, or living. Because we already have this so-called magic formula right at our fingertips, and it's simply called being present. It's being in proximity to those who are also in the same rhythm of life of the places we go, the places we live, and the places we work. I didn't come to know the neighborhood UPS delivery person by happenstance, just as I did not come to know the many folks in Deep Ellum that I either do or have at some point in time called friend and called neighbor. I came to know and be known by those I was in proximity with through being a neighbor. I came to know those through proximity by wondering, like Daniel Tiger and Mr. Rogers, if they would simply be my neighbor. Some of you know my story, specifically what led me to Deep Ellum and that winding journey that will now lead my wife and uh, me out of this neighborhood that we love so much and carry us to the Venice neighborhood of Washington, D.C., a new neighborhood to come to know and to love our neighbors through proximity. But I also acknowledge that there are many new faces at Life in Deep Ellum that do not know my story. After all, remember, the only constant in life is change, and there have been changes in this faith community and in this neighborhood, and there will continue to be because that's life. So for a little context, in 2011, I moved to DFW from North Carolina. I had just graduated college, went to Dallas Baptist University to study theology and worship leadership, and get my master's. Long story short there, 2014 <laughs> came to Deep, Al uh, Deep Ellum proper, um, city of Dallas proper, to Deep Ellum to start a church, to plant a church. And that was a journey, 2014. And there were many, many, many things that happened along the way, but there was one one very pivotal moment that being in proximity in the neighborhood to those who were around me, an organization called United Black Element was right across the street at the time from where we gathered on Sunday evenings. United Black Element was and still is, even though they are no longer in the Deep Ellum neighborhood, a community center for black men who have sex with men ages 18 to 25. That is who they are there to serve. And my eyes opened, or began to open, the scales fell off the eyes. What previously was a very more, um, lack of better 
better term, conservative approach to scripture and philosophies of life that came from that. And these folks in the community center would, uh, would invite me in just to spend time with them in their space. And I always said yes, always. If someone said, come over to the community center, go to this bar, go to this restaurant with me, my answer was yes. So we watched the Empire, I believe, season two premiere, eating spaghetti and ice cream in a space that I walked into yesterday, reimagined with plants and a lot of fish. Um, and I just had that moment of going, I sat there with folks I did not know, with folks I was told previously not to love, not to be in proximity with, who would wind up changing my life and opening my eyes up to the reality of LGBTQ youth homelessness as a result of family rejection of their parents due to religious reasons. Which, long story short, led to <laughs> me walking away from this, the Baptist Convention of Texas as a church planter to start an organization focused on advocating for LGBTQ youth experiencing homelessness. Fast forward, all of this is on the internet if you Google my name. So you can get all of the missing pieces. <laughs> But fast forward to 2020. 2020 for me, like many, was a rough year and Outlast Youth did not make it. And I started asking, well, who am I? Long story short, because I have shared that in sermons previously, also on the internet. <laughs> That's what leads us to Washington DC now. Two years later, there was an opportunity with an organization called Away Home America, which advocates for youth experiencing homelessness through a BIPOC and LGBTQ lens on a path to end youth homelessness for all. So I am, and I started in August, so it's been a wild ride. It was, hey, we want you. You'll start in two weeks, and you'll be in DC by the end of the year. So I am the public policy director for Away Home America now, and that is, the story in the nutshell. And I'll fill some gaps uh, along the way. But at this time, we'll open up to 2 Corinthians. It's in the New Testament. You'll get through the Gospels, then you'll get through Acts and Romans, and then you'll find your way to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and I'm reading from the voice translation. Verses 6 through 15, the Apostle Paul writes, But I will say this to encourage your generosity. The one who plants little harvests little, and the one who plants plenty harvests plenty. Giving grows out of the heart. Otherwise, you've reluctantly grumbled, yes, because you felt you had to or because you couldn't say no, but this isn't the way God wants it. For we know that God loves a cheerful giver. God is ready to overwhelm you with more blessings than you could ever imagine so that you'll always be taken care of in every way and you'll have more than enough to share. 
Remember what is written about the one who trusts in the Lord. He scattered abroad. He gave freely to the poor. His righteousness endures throughout the ages. The same one who has put seed into the hands of the sower and brought bread to fill our stomachs will provide and multiply the resources you invest and produce an abundant harvest from your righteous actions. You will be made rich in everything so that your generosity will spill over in every direction. Through us, your generosity is at work inspiring praise and thanksgiving to God. For this mission will do more than bring food and water to fellow believers in need. It will overflow in a cascade of praises and thanksgivings for our God. When this mission reaches Jerusalem and meets with the approval of God's people there, they will give glory to God because your confession of the gospel of the anointed one led to obedient action and your generous sharing with them and with all exhibited your sincere concern. Because of the extraordinary grace of God at work in you, they will pray for you and long for you. Praise God for this incredible, unbelievable, indescribable gift. If you have spent any time at all in a Christian church, this scripture passage may have sounded familiar to you, specifically in the context of financially giving to that specific church you were either already a member of or you were just simply visiting. But I would like to challenge those who only read these particular words of the Apostle Paul through an offering and financial giving lens and rather suggest that there is another interpretation. Surprise for those of you that know me. One of sowing the seeds of generosity and compassion through what we will call today the gospel of proximity. Verse 6 states in the translation I read, the one who plants little harvests little and the one who plants plenty harvests plenty. To make this really simple, it's mathematics. Very simple mathematics. If you grow a garden, because droughts and all sorts of weather things that are outside of our control, the more you plant, the more you harvest. Very similar, being the neighbor in Deep Ellum, there's a lot of businesses, y'all. There's a lot of restaurants. There's a lot of bars. There's a lot of shops. There are many people to come in contact with. Simple math. The more people and places you come into proximity with, the more seeds of generosity and compassion you sow. If you go to the same place, the same time with the same people, maybe after church for lunch with the same group, and that's the only place you're going, smaller harvest. However, I will caution against proselytizing. This is not a call to go and spread the seeds of Jesus to as many people as you can because that can get into where we'll go in a minute, so no spoilers, but it is a call to know one another through relationship. And relationships, they take time. When I first came into the neighborhood, I was new <laughs> and wanted to get to know the neighborhood. 
of the neighborhood, in my mind, then and now, was people, not places. So I wanted to find that one place that I could interact with people consistently, just show up, because that's how you build relationships. Show up over time and invest. The Deep Ellum Wine Walk was starting at that time. And they had put out a call through the Deep Ellum newsletter for volunteers. And I saw that it was every third Thursday from 6 to 9, show up at 4 o'clock to get it ready, probably leave at 10 to 11. But it was the same time every month for a block of time. And I said, I can do that. I can put that on my calendar. I can be consistent. I can show up. So as one of the first volunteers of the Deep Ellum Wine Walk, I showed up every third Thursday looking like the weird guy who was starting a church that nobody trusted because there was a lot of hurt from a lot of people for good reason in this neighborhood by people who claimed to be Christians. And I just kept showing up. And like Jesus at the wedding in Cana, there was a lot of wine. And I kept showing up, and I kept having a lot of wine. And over time, I built this relationship with Frank Compagna and Paula Harris. People that both Taylor and I will greatly miss. People who run an art gallery where we got married because of relationships because of the gospel of proximity. In verse 7, and I will read this one again, the Apostle Paul writes, giving grows out of the heart, otherwise you've reluctantly grumbled yes because you felt you had to or because you couldn't say no, but this isn't the way God wants it. For we know that God loves a cheerful giver, and this is the caution that I alluded to. This is the caution from our author. How many times have we personally witnessed or heard the story of someone who left the church because folks who proclaimed to love Christ with their lips showed the opposite through their actions. And that story is all throughout this neighborhood. That story is all throughout our nation. That story is a part of my own story. So when I was starting Outlast Youth, the organization focused on LGBTQ youth experiencing homelessness through advocacy and education and public policy. The way I described it earlier wasn't that cut and dry. I didn't just leave the Baptist Convention of Texas. I was asked to make a choice. You can stay and be a church planter or you can go, quote, to those people where there will bear, quote, no fruit. I won't say it and tell you all the words that I said in response. <laughs> what I will say is I somehow, through the grace of God only, um, remained calm. went on a quick little tear about how that was a gross misinterpretation of theology, gathered my things, 
And I said, well, I guess you have my choice. And I walked out the door. And it was scary. And it led into the journey of not wanting to step foot in a church again. Because then the many, not phone calls from people who have my phone number, who I had been in proximity with, who had called me friend, who I had called mentor. No, I had Facebook messages. I had letters in the mailbox. I didn't have a phone call. I didn't have a sit down conversation with anybody who decided that they were now God and they were going to condemn me to hell. This is an all too familiar story for many folks. And through the education part of Outlast Youth, specifically with faith-based entities, I started to see other people who had been condemned by former colleagues in the name of Christ say, Welcome to the dark side. <laughs> Come over. But what I saw was more love and grace and compassion in a group of people that were told that they were wrong. What I experienced was grace and compassion on the couch of United Black Element eating spaghetti and ice cream with people who I had previously told were going to hell. And I experienced more grace and compassion in that room than I had in a church. And this was my fork in the road. The fact that I'm standing in front of you, you know the end of that story, that part. But attempting to be a neighbor out of some inward guilt or feeling of obligation will not and does not sow the seeds of generosity and compassion through proximity. It happens way too often in churches. But that will not happen, especially in this neighborhood. And I would challenge and say that there is a growing number of people in our entire nation that can see through the deception, the reluctance, and ingenuous actions of people claiming to love their neighbor in the supposed name of Christ. Rather, we can only sow these seeds of generosity and compassion with a cheerful heart, with a willing heart. In the words of an ancient theologian named Basil, yes, like the herb or the great mouse detective, when speaking on this verse, Basil's words read, people who give reluctantly or under compulsion present a blemished sacrifice which should not be accepted. Put simply, be genuine, be authentic, be you. That is how we begin to sow the seeds of generosity and compassion through being in proximity with people. So as we close this passage, verses 10 through 11, read one more time. These words read, the same one who has put seed into the hands of the sower and brought bread to fill our stomachs will provide and multiply the resources you invest and produce an abundant harvest from your righteous actions. 
you will be made rich in everything so that your generosity will spill over in every direction. Through us, your generosity is at work, inspiring praise and thanksgiving to God. The interpretation of this passage passing through my lips this day, especially this particular verse, can be quite countercultural. There is a theology out there that will use this passage to tell you that if you are a blessing, specifically with your finances, you will be blessed. The spirit of this is true, but what I challenge is solely the financial piece. Rather, as the Apostle Paul would also say in the book of Romans, as he was speaking in chapter 12 about being a living sacrifice, I would challenge each of us to view the giving of ourselves, our lives, our generosity and compassion, being the neighbor as the blessing that will be sowed and multiplied and therefore produce an abundant harvest. You may not physically see the results and that is why a lot of people do not want to invest in relationships through proximity. We are a results-driven nation and society. But if we are giving of ourselves through the gospel of proximity with a cheerful and a generous heart, your ego will not get in the way of some inner desire to see the results. As I have mentioned and alluded to and have, as many of you have witnessed, there are many deep, entrusted relationships that I have built, that Taylor has built, that we have built together in this neighborhood that I now pass on to Life in Deep Bell. At our going away party last week, I was very intentional on making sure people who did not know each other at least met. And if you were there and you got an introduction, you now have the responsibility to be in proximity with those entrusted relationships. And that onus is on Taylor and I as well as we go to the Venice neighborhood of Washington, D.C. to be in proximity with our neighbor. So life in Deep Ellum, here's your charge. Like Mr. Rogers and Daniel Tiger, be the neighbor, but love all of your Deep Ellum neighbors and all of your neighbors you come in contact with, the exact same. Your homeless neighbor, your bartender neighbor, your life in Deep Ellum neighbor, et cetera, et cetera, the list goes on. The umbrella man, or rather as I will call them, the umbrella person. The visual representation of who life in Deep Ellum was called to be should not choose who gets the umbrella. Rather, they sow the seeds of generosity and compassion through the gospel of proximity. And the gospel of proximity is cultivated and practiced by being in relationship with the people in the neighborhood they and you and I are called to serve and love. Therefore, my life in Deep Ellum family be encouraged Embody the umbrella person through the gospel of proximity and take heart. 
let God's love lead you through the night. Hold on to hope and take courage again. Go in peace to serve our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.